This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. When does a writer's phrase become a cliche? Well, according to one literary website, it's when the words in that phrase become so overused that they've become trite and demonstrate a lack of original thinking. Phrases, for instance, like the apple doesn't fall far from the tree or we're not laughing at you, we're laughing with you. But what about Christian cliches? We certainly have a lot of those, but not all of them are even true. And my next guest says that we get into all kinds of trouble when we use these kinds of simplistic statements as our measure of understanding God and his word. They need some correction. And that's what we're going to tackle today with Dr. Jeff Myers, president of Summit Ministries and author of the book. We'll be talking about unquestioned answers, rethinking 10 Christian cliches to rediscover biblical truths. Jeff, wonderful to have you here. How are you doing? Janet, it's great to be back on your show. Very well, thank you. Good. I'm so glad to hear it's great to have you back. Will you talk early on in your book about this problem? I like this word, simplicism. I love that. I don't know if we can say that five times fast, but talk about that a little bit. What what would you say the definition of simplicism is, and how does that relate to Christianity? Well, let me contrast it with simplicity. Of course, everybody watches Marie Kondo clean out people's houses and help them come to grips with it spiritually. Yeah. Uh, simplicity is usually considered to be a virtue of living a less complicated life. But simplicism is different. Simplicism is the conviction that something isn't really true unless it is easy to understand and summarize. Hmm. So when somebody says, you know, that's just over my head, and so therefore, you know, I'm not going to pay any attention to it. That's simplicism. If somebody says, boy, I, I, I'm ha- my brain hurts, I'm having to think too hard about this, there must be an easier way. That can be simplicism. Um, and, and it can be true. Uh, their core truths are in many ways simple, but that does not mean that anything that's complicated is therefore you know, untrue. Right. That's what I see a lot of Christians falling for. Yeah, you bear that out a little bit because when you're talking about the conviction that something cannot be true unless it's simple, how does that manifest itself that you've seen when you've looked across maybe the evangelical subculture or the church in general? I think it manifests itself in the same way in the evangelical subculture as it does in, say, the more of the leftist subculture. I, I'm speaking to you from my office, which is in Manitou Springs, Colorado, a little hippie town right at the foot of Pikes Peak, where most of the cars are held together by bumper stickers. <laughs> right, right. You know, hashtag resist. And I, I've seen them all. I see them all every single day. But Christians do the same thing, not just through bumper stickers and T-shirts, but very often through elevating people who create um, cliché kinds of thinking. So, for instance, you might have a pastor who is dealing with something that's complicated, and of course it's very difficult for pastors to take what they learned in seminary, starting with Greek and Hebrew class, and try to communicate it. But they're talking along, and and people are going, I'm not really sure. And then all of a sudden, the pastor summarizes it in one sentence, and people go, oh, ah, ooh, that's good. (laughs) And they write it down, and their thinking 
stops at that point when it should be the starting point of going deeper. Great. You're right about that. Like let go and let God, those kinds of simplistic phrases that we hear a lot. We hear them all of the time. And my colleagues at Summit Ministries and I started this with a conversation. Well, I think it was last summer. I said, guys, are you hearing these cliches? Because I know a lot of our students at Summit Ministries, we we run these two-week-long courses of study for young adults who are 16 to 25 before they go to college so they can really strengthen their biblical worldview and become leaders. A lot of them are coming with unanswered questions, Janet, but a lot of them very uncomfortably are also coming with unquestioned answers, things that they've heard all of their lives but don't really understand And that makes them very vulnerable. Yeah, you actually say that the unquestioned answers are what they struggle with more than they actually struggle with unanswered questions, which I think might be a surprise to a lot of people. I think, well, it is a surprise. It was a surprise to me. As I wrote the book, I, I asked my team, make your list, and we, I made my list, and we came up with 10 that we thought we would cover in the book, 10 unquestioned answers that I think we as Christians should abandon, not so much because they're wrong, but because they keep our thinking at a shallow level when we need to go deep. But I think it's a problem because unquestioned answers make us vulnerable. If you go off to college and say in your biology class, well, it takes more faith to believe in evolution than it takes to believe in creation, which is what you hear from creation workshops, you'll be in big trouble because your professor is ready for that, and your professor will cut you down in front of the class embarrass you. I cannot tell you, Janet, you probably know people like this too. They're, they just kind of walked away from their faith because one person questioned something that they thought they believed and they couldn't answer it. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Right. And you wonder how firm was your foundation in the first place if one answer you know, derailed you? How much did you really understand about what that person was was refuting? I mean, that That's the problem, isn't it? That you have a lot of people whose thinking is so shallow that a lot of, you know, Christians who have maybe gone to church for a long time and have faith in Jesus Christ, but maybe not a very deep faith, will immediately retreat because they don't have the inclination to dig. That That, that is a very concerning thing, I think, for the entire church. If you have Christians like that who won't even go back and dig into the question to try to refute the answer that that derailed them in the first place. That is right. Uh, You've nailed that. I think think shallow thinking is a problem for all of our country, really, around the whole world right now. And I, I think Jesus' followers should lead the way in saying, no, we're going to go deeper. And here's why, Janet. I mean, Jesus called us to be fishers of men. Anybody who's ever been fishing knows you don't catch a fish by skimming the surface. Right. You have to go deep. Right, right, exactly. So let's dive into some of these cliches that you cover in the book. I think you've picked some great ones, Jeff, to refute. The first of which is, God said it, I believe it, that settles it for me. Now, you see some variation of that on the bumper stickers, as you mentioned before, but talk about what is wrong with that phrase. It sounds okay on the surface. What, what is really missing, though? I do think it sounds okay on the surface. Where that one bends in the bad direction is at the very end. When somebody says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it for me. Right. In other words, I am the one who gets to decide whether it is true or not, because it makes sense to me, I believe it. Or because, you know, God, I, this is what I say that God said, 
And that's how I see it. Therefore, it's true because I like it. All of the unquestioned answers come down to making it about me. It's me and Jesus, you know, that kind of a thing. We always make it about ourselves rather than about God and His Word. Exactly. So in the book, I take people into what I hope was a fascinating exploration of what the Bible really is, what it's about, uh, what it means that it's inspired, what it means that it's without error, the internal evidence for the truth of the Bible, the external evidence for the truth of the Bible. Some of the fascinating stories, for example, there was a, a book several years ago that said King David probably never even existed. And one year after that book was published, Israel Finkelstein, who's a professor of archaeology at Tel Aviv University, found a David inscription. <laughs> And, and he said, biblical nihilism collapsed overnight with the discovery of the David inscription. And since that time, somebody's actually found the palace of David. Wow. So it's incredible to realize, wow, what the Bible has said all along that people scoffed at, now we have these archaeological discoveries and are finding that it's, it's true in what it says about the historical events which makes it far more likely that everything else it says should be taken seriously as well. That's right. And, and those are good facts to have on hand when you're talking to somebody who finds his faith derailed by a college professor. Hey, did you know, you know, your college professor claimed X, Y, or Z. Did you know there's archaeological evidence that flies in the face of that? In a way, it's about stimulating some intellectual curiosity about the Bible as well, which is something I want to pick up with Jeff Myers when we come back from this break. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. I was afraid. I was scared. I didn't know what to do. Everybody wanted me to have an abortion. The battle for life has heated up in our country, and standing for life is more difficult than ever. The Ministry of Preborn empowers young women in crisis to choose life. By letting an expectant mother hear her baby's heartbeat and see him on an ultrasound, she's 80% more likely to choose life for her baby. She did let me hear the heartbeat, and I was like, wow, it's something like living inside of me. It was a beautiful thing to hear. 
Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country. Would you join with Preborn and Janet Mefford today and help women with crisis pregnancies choose life? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds. All gifts are tax deductible. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. We really need your help during these summer months when donations tend to slow down. Please help right now if you can. 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a preborn banner to click at Janet Mefford. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Great to have Dr. Jeff Myers with us, president of Summit Ministries and author of the new book. It's called Unquestioned Answers, Rethinking 10 Christian Cliches to Rediscover Biblical Truths. We're talking a lot, Jeff, in this discussion about the shallow thinking that often characterizes much of modern Christianity. And you're really making a plea here for people to think more biblically and to think more deeply and logically about the faith. And that's so important because these cliches that you're going through in your book can really, on the the surface sound okay, but actually will not give definitive answers if that's all you're relying on. So what about this issue of being able to have evidence on hand when somebody is buying into one of these cliches? I think it's really important. And if, if people pick up a copy of Unquestioned Answers, they'll see some of the basic evidence presented there, but they'll also find sources that I love to have on hand with my students who attend our two-week-long courses at Summit Ministries, we encourage them to take home books like uh, my textbooks, Understanding the Times, Understanding the Faith, Understanding the Culture. We encourage them to take home Douglas Groteis's book, Christian Apologetics, a, mm-hmm. a handbook of Christian apologetics. We encourage them to take home Joshua and Sean McDowell's book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. We ought to have a library on hand, not because we will ever read those books cover to cover, but because when big questions come up, sometimes the answers that we find on Google can be misleading or we don't really know uh, whether the source is is credible, and and we need to have something on hand to be able to go deeper. I agree. I don't think Google is a very reliable apologetics text. (laughs) You have to be very careful when you're out there Googling things. Well, you can just as easily fall into misinformation as good information, right? I mean, I I think people say, well, gosh, if somebody has a really good-looking website, it must mean that they're on to something. Well, they might just be really good at making a good-looking website in order to tell better lies. Yes, that's right. Well said. What about this cliche, just have faith? You know, this is one of those things that I tend to see written in curly cues, you know, on the wall. You can go buy it at some bookstore, you know, or some home decoration store. (laughs) Just have faith. What is the problem with that? It's trite, first of all, but how do you break down that phrase and say, no, we need to go a little bit deeper on this issue of faith? Some people are well-meaning when they say just have faith. They're, they're saying, hang in there. You know, I will often tell people, I'm cheering for you, or you have what it takes. But those things can become trite because it's a way of excusing ourselves from a tough conversation, right. uh, really dealing with difficult things. And it, it brings up the question of what faith really is. You know, Mark Twain, long time ago, said faith is believing what you know ain't so. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and I, I said that, in a, I was giving that illustration in a church one time, Janet, and I was about ready to refute that point, and a lady in the congregation just shouted, Amen! <laughs> and I, I stopped, and people kind of chuckled a little bit, and I thought, oh boy, how am I going to handle this? 
And I, I just said, well, before we get excited about that, let me, let me dig into this for a minute. Because what makes faith, faith, biblically, is not that we have it, it's that the object of our faith is worthy of belief. Amen. And when we start with that, we realize, wow, the, the faith isn't something that we have, it's something that we live. The Apostle Paul said the righteous live by faith. He said that over and over again, and so did the author of the book of Hebrews. Right. Yeah, that's important. The object of faith is everything. If you have faith in yourself, forget it. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, that's where your faith needs to be. But even then, Jeff, when people talk about faith in Jesus, they can use it like Jesus, you know, just rub his head and he'll do what you want. He's the Santa Claus in the sky. Just have faith. He'll take care of it. He'll do it for you. He loves you. He'll do, and, and that's not necessarily so. If you really dig into scripture, you understand that, my goodness, we go through all kinds of trials and temptations and suffering sufferings on this earth. We're never promised a trouble-free life. So just having faith is very, very trite when you're looking at the entire text of Scripture and what it says about the Christian life. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Christian philosophers, well, all philosophers will talk about what they call justified true belief, that we have beliefs, these beliefs are true, and that we are justified in holding them. And if we, if we have that, then we can live differently as a, a result. But, you know, you pointed out that your examples really got me thinking when somebody says, I have faith in myself, they're still saying, uh, what they're essentially saying is, I have a justified true belief that I am the center of the universe and that whatever I decide is what will be true. Yes. And such a person is set up for misery in so many ways. But isn't that so common in our culture today? Very, very common. Right. Which is exactly why it's good for you to refute all of this. Now, let's go to another one. There's so many good ones. I'm not going to get to all of them. People can read about it in your book and and get much more depth here. But another one that comes up is Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. I've heard that a million different ways over the years. What does that say about worldview? How does that tie into the issue of worldview? (laughs) Well, I, this is one I used to find myself saying. So when I was writing this chapter, I was doing it with gritted teeth. <laughs> uh, Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. Now, when you ever hear somebody say something is this and not this, you always have to stop and ask, why does it have to be one or the other? Hmm. That's the first logical question you want to ask. So I looked up the word religion in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, And it means religion is a set of beliefs about the cause, nature, and purpose of the universe. Mm -hmm. Do Christians have a set of beliefs about the cause, nature, and purpose of the universe? Without question. Mm -hmm. That's all of Scripture. So Jesus is our Savior, but he also offers us a framework for understanding all of reality. And that's why at Summit Ministries, we don't just teach students about a Christian worldview. We actually reveal to them some of the counterfeit worldviews in detail that they will be facing so they can know how to refute them. Right. That's excellent. Yeah, that's excellent. And I think people who use that phrase use it because they want to project to non-Christians. We're not just about following a a bunch of rules and regulations. It's a personal fellowship that we have with God himself through Jesus Christ. But yeah, the way of saying that it loses something. You're right. It doesn't have to be one or the other. And that's that's a really important point. Mm. What about this issue of Jesus not being a social justice warrior? This is very timely and very important. Can you speak to that a little bit, Jeff? 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I came out of the academic world, Janet, before I came to be the president of Summit Ministries. And so I was really shocked to discover that Christians love this term social justice, because in, in the academic world, social justice means justice in terms of the redistribution of wealth, opportunities, and privileges within a society. Yes. It very clearly means that. It does not ever mean anything else. Okay? So social justice is like Bernie Sanders' theology. Yes. So when people say Jesus was a social justice warrior, they may not realize it. What they're hoping they're saying is, I care about the poor and the oppressed, Uh, which is good, by the way. God cares deeply about the poor and the oppressed, and that is a theme all throughout Scripture. But when people say Jesus was a social justice warrior, they're saying is, this is the primary thing about Jesus' ministry, that he cared about the poor and the oppressed. Mm -hmm. And it's really important for us as Christians to understand that Jesus came as the Son of God to reconcile us to God, not to affirm anyone's utopian agenda. Excellent. Right. Exactly. That's that's a great summary of what the Bible actually does say. He's not a social justice warrior. Caring about the poor doesn't mean that you're a socialist. <laughs> Absolutely not. What about this phrase, Jeff? God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. That, that one, people really love that one in particular because they're trying to just emphasize God's goodness. But what do you see as being a little bit off kilter with that particular cliche? Well, Janet, and I tell the story, if people want to see a free video about this, they can come to unquestionedanswers.com. I tell a story of a time where I was in a very difficult, deep, dark place in life, and I came to church, and the pastor, you know, proclaimed this, God is good, and the congregation replied all the time, and then the pastor replied all the time, and the congregation shouted, God is good. And I, re- I, I felt like I wanted to just shrink into myself hmm. because I, I looked around and I realized there were a lot of people who were affirming this uh, aloud, but there were a lot of people where I could just see it in their eyes. I'm not sure this is true. I'm not sure this is true for me. I'm not sure that just shouting this aloud changes the circumstances of my life that are so very difficult right now. So I'm, I'm suggesting that we set this unquestioned answer aside, not because it's untrue, but because it, it doesn't, it's not something we can lead with. Mm-hmm. We need to lead with questions. And one of the key things we teach at Summit Ministries when somebody is in pain is, and they say something like, I could never believe in a God who would allow evil is to just not start with a response to the question. Just start by asking, how did you get there? What's your story? Hmm. Tell me how, how you arrived at that conclusion. And then use it as an opportunity to build the conversation. Uh, I don't think, I'm not one of these guys who believes that every conversation has to close the deal, quote-unquote, and be completely wrapped up. I think we have the opportunity to open up relationships rather than close down conversations. 
And that's really important. And I think what really comes through in your book, Jeff, is how you are really trying to get the message across to Christians. Think, know your Bible, study your Bible, understand what the Word of God says so that you can go deeper, so that you can become more rooted in your faith in Jesus Christ. And that's a message all of us need to remember. The name of the book is Unquestioned Answers. Dr. Jeff Myers from Summit Ministries. Unquestionedanswers.com is the website. Jeff, thank you so much for being with us. Again, it's always great to talk to you. It's great to talk with you, Janet. Your show is fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. God bless, Jeff. This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. In Matthew 4, the Lord Jesus Christ was walking by the Sea of Galilee and called out to the two fishermen brothers, Simon and Andrew, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Why was it so important for the Lord to call men to follow him and to encourage them to fish for more men to follow him? Well, we understand why it's so important to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world and to see men grow and mature as his disciples. That goal is still vital. And my next guest is all about continuing that mission. Lonnie Berger is the global director of the TWR Men's Ministry and author of the Every Man a Warrior Discipleship Bible Study Series for Men. And he is here to tell us more about this great outreach. Lonnie, it's so great to have you with us. Thank you for being here. Well, Jenna, thank you for having me on. And yes, you've said it correctly that in the midst of the global crisis we're facing, this is an opportunity for men to step up and be the men, the husbands, the fathers, the spiritual leaders that God wants us to be. And so the Every Man a Warrior Ministry has been preparing men in 33 different countries on how to walk with God, love their wife, train their children, manage money, how to be men of prayer, and uh, how to help others around them experience uh, the life of walking with Christ when they are going through hard times. And again, it is my hope that of the 40,000 men who have already gone through Every Man a Warrior that every one of them will go to their neighbor and say, hey, are you afraid? Hmm. Well, God is here. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. So mm-hmm. I'm encouraging men in the Everyman of Warrior Ministry to go talk to their neighbors and tell them, God is here. This coronavirus has not caught him by surprise. Amen. That's so well said, especially now when we're seeing a lot of fear and a lot of panic. But well, talking about the issue of men being reached with the gospel and men in particular being important as you know, driving force for the advancement of the gospel and reaching a culture for Christ. Can you speak to that a little bit, Lonnie? Because nobody is saying women aren't important. We all know women are important, but in different ways. Why men? Why is this such a burden on your heart to reach men and decide? men this way? Yeah, that's an excellent question. In um, the United States and around the world, the women have discovered that they can't move forward unless we change the hearts of men. We can't stop violence against women and children unless we change the hearts of men. And so many of the problems we have in our culture are because of men who are not doing what God would have them to do. Eighty percent 
of the people living in poverty in the United States are single moms and their children. And that's a men's issue. So the Every Man a Warrior ministry has grown so fast. We've gone into 33 countries in just nine years and in 13 languages. And one time I was asking the Lord about this. I got a half day in prayer, and I said, Lord, help me to understand what you're trying to do. And the Lord spoke to me in one of those rare times when I heard him speak. He said, Lonnie, the growth of Every Man a Warrior is not because of you. But millions of Christian women have been begging me for decades, God, please help the men. And I feel like the women saw this. When I did church consulting for five years, I asked pastors about this. I'd say, what is the biggest problem in your church? And they'd say, well, we just don't have enough spiritually mature, qualified men to lead in the church, to lead the programs in the church. And when I asked them, what is your plan to build them? Most of them said they didn't really have one. Wow. And I had had that exact same experience when I uh, graduated from Bible school. I was trained to teach theology to men. But when I was teaching theology to men, I realized men were bored. <laughs> they didn't care. Right. But when I asked them what was going on in their life, they said, Lonnie, my marriage is hurting. My children aren't doing well. Money's tight. Work is awful. And, uh, you know, when I'm really frustrated, I look at porn. And I realized that the theology from Galatians and Romans and Philippians and these good books of the Bible that I was trying to teach men wasn't really touching them where they lived. Hmm. And so that began to change my whole perspective, that if we're going to get the men, if we're going to reach the men, we've got to help them learn how to walk with God and then succeed in life. And the Scripture has a lot to say about money, marriage, raising children, sex, work, and going through our times. And that's what these men were begging me to help, to find help on. And that's how the Every Man a Warrior ministry was born. Well, there's so much packed into what you just said there, Lonnie, and certainly we have to talk about some of it, at least, because when you have these building blocks of discipleship, as you talk about in Every Man a Warrior, the first and greatest commandment, as you point out, and and we know this from Scripture, is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You say the love relationship that men have with God has to be fundamental. How do you get that across to men? How do you communicate what it means to have a love relationship with God? To confess Christ, we understand that, but to really love him and to want to serve him and be his disciple is a whole nother level of being a Christian. What, what do you tell men about that? Well, Janet, that's an excellent question, and it's a huge blind spot in the body of Christ, because we teach men and we preach at men, you should love God more, or you should love your wife better, or you should train your children. The problem is we don't teach them how. And in Every Man a Warrior, the very first thing we teach men is how to spend daily time alone with the Lord in the Word and prayer. And we start them out at 15 minutes. The vast majority of Christian men have never been taught how to actually spend time with God. Hmm. And I had a pastor who had had about 1,500 men in his church go through Every Man a Warrior, and he expressed this at a pastor's conference. He says, where do the men in your church go to learn how to pray? Is there a Sunday school class on that? Because, you know, where do the men go to learn how to have a daily quiet time? Right. And so this is a skill, and in Every Man a Warrior, it's the very first skill we start men on. And we start them out at 15 minutes. Now, we did two years of field testing 
with every man a warrior with more than 500 men. And at the end of the field testing, 80% of the men said that the thing that changed their life the most was just learning how to spend time alone with God by being in the Word and meditating on the Word and writing down a thought or two, and then praying back those thoughts to God. And what we've discovered is that when men spend time with God, God always shows up. Right. So and when... he begins to speak to them, and he begins to show that he really does love them. And most men have never really experienced hearing God's voice or feeling his love because they've never been taught how to spend time with him. That's a tragedy that that has not been more of an emphasis in the church, and I hope that that's a challenge for a lot of pastors. When you are instructing men how to have a daily quiet time, what should be the components of that quiet time? Because certainly you could do a lot of things in 15 minutes. How much of it is Bible study? What books of the Bible would you recommend? How do you kind of get them started? Yeah, we start them out in the Gospels because our number one objective is for them to begin to talk and walk with Jesus. But the skills that we teach men is how to meditate on the Scripture. And this has been around for many years, but it's rarely taught. When you read a paragraph in the Bible, it's very simple to say, now, is there a command to obey, a sin to avoid, something new about God? Uh, They just ask some simple questions, and we help men begin to do that. And then we have them actually write down their key thought for the day. And that becomes a a time where just in meditating on the Word, they go, here's my one new best thought for the day, and that thought can stay with them throughout the day. (laughs) It is a skill. We develop it over three or four weeks, and then we maintain that skill, grow that skill over the 32 weeks that the whole course is. Book one is nine weeks, and it's just about walking with God, but we use that skill of meditating on the Word and praying back to God those key thoughts uh, throughout all three books when we talk about marriage, raising children, money, sex, work, going through hard times. We use that skill, to, and we grow this new lifelong habit over the nine-month period that is every man a warrior. Well, that's wonderful. Do you find that that creates more of an appetite in these men to study the Bible further? Is that kind of the outcome that you see? Absolutely. In fact, not only to study the Bible, but to actually know the God of the universe. Perfect. To actually feel His love. And I think this is one of the tragedies that um, in parts of our Christianity, uh, knowing Bible information seems to be the goal rather than knowing God from your heart. That's an important point. Yes, absolutely. We need to pause for a very quick break. We're going to come back with Lonnie Berger, Every Man a Warrior, Helping Men Succeed in Life is his Discipleship Bible Study Series. We'll come back to the conversation on Janet Meffer today after this. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International, engaging the world with God's Word for more than 80 years. Believers in Africa are hungry to read their very own Bibles. Hear from Pastor Jeremiah in Zimbabwe. The church is growing very fast in the northern part of the country where Tsonga-speaking people and Zulu-speaking people and, uh, you know, we find that there's a movement of the Holy Spirit there where the hunger, or spiritual hunger, is very much visible. If you can imagine 10 Christians right now in many places in Africa. On average, nine have no access to the Bible. Here's Lillian in Mozambique. We went to this church just on the outskirts of Maputo. 
uh, the church had about um, about a hundred people, and the the only person actually who had a Bible was the pastor. But everybody else had never seen a Bible, and that gives us motivation to want to go more, to do more, to reach to as many people as we can. You know where God gives us opportunity to go there and just take the word of God through Bible studies and resources that introduce people to Jesus Christ. Bible League is faithfully discipling new believers in Kenya, Ghana, Ethiopia, and many other African countries. Here's an evangelist named Joseph. In South Africa. We were in a place called Mpumalanga. The lady there is about 60, 62 years or so. She literally cried. She knelt down and she cried. She never, at the age of 60, she never had a Bible. It is so much fulfilling just to see people like her rejoicing um, when they receive their Bibles. You can be the answer to a Bibleless believer praying for God's word through Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa. $5 sends one Bible, $50 sends 10, and your gift right now of any size will help us reach our goal to send 1500 Bibles to Africa. Call 800 yes word, 800 y e s w o r d, or there's a Bible League banner to click at janetmefford.com. I've seen people being changed by reading the scripture. Giving a Bible to somebody is the greatest gift you can give somebody in life. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, I think it absolutely is the case that if you are to reach the culture for Christ, you have to reach the men. It's absolutely true. Men are vital and in so many ways. We're talking with Lonnie Berger today. He is global director of the TWR Men's Ministry and author of the Every Man a Warrior Discipleship Bible Study Series for Men. We were talking a little bit about this quiet time that you show men how to begin to have. Lonnie, and you had mentioned we don't want to just impart Bible information. We really want the men to have a deeper fellowship with the Lord, and that really is the goal. Why do you think so many men struggle with that? Is it is it a matter of the church not really addressing it? Is it a matter of they think that's more of a female thing to seek? What are your thoughts on that? No, the number one reason most men don't spend time with Jesus is no one ever taught them how. Now, it's a blind spot in the church. We have to teach skills to men. I uh, use the story in Every Man a Warrior how I taught my daughters to drive a car. If you want your children to learn how to be safe drivers, you've got to go out and teach them how, and you practice doing it with them. Right. It's the same with walking with God. We get a group of men, four to six men together, and we start them out at 15 minutes uh, in writing down their quiet time, meditating on the Word and praying. And then each week they begin to share what they feel God is teaching them. And this goes on for nine months. It's a skill that needs to be taught, developed, practiced, and shared with other men. And so the reason I think this is so hard is because, one, we don't teach the skill, but secondly the enemy fights against it. For sure. I've been having quiet times for 45 years, and I still, you know, the morning I get up and the enemy says, oh, you're too tired. Oh, you're too busy. Oh, you should run off to the office. You've got so much to do. And so the enemy is committed to trying to keep us away from our love relationship with God. And most men are oblivious to this. But after doing this for many years, I realize if I don't get my time alone with God, then my soul begins to weaken. So I think the number one reason is no one taught them how. The second reason is that the enemy fights against it. And I think the third reason is, is that if you're going to grow a new lifelong skill that the enemy is committed to defeating, you need a group of accountability. Yes. You need some other men who said, I want to help you and I, we want to both become the men God wants us to be. So we're going to encourage each other. 
And so that appropriate accountability is also important. That's excellent. Now, one of your other books, you've got three books here, but book two is on marriage and raising children. This is something that is also very important, the man's role in his family. What are some of the high points, Lonnie, that you think are important for men to understand about their role in the family? Well, Janet, let me give you the marriage commitment that men will memorize. It is my privilege to show my love for Jesus by caring for my wife, to love her, show her honor, try to understand her, and to give up my life and rights for her. And men have to memorize that and say that to another man for 20 weeks. Now, when we field tested this, men would look at me with horror going, oh, Lonnie, this is hard. I just wanted to have sex. And, you know, we'd all laugh. But the truth is, God has a higher standard. And God wants us to love our wives in such a way that we obey his the commands of the scriptures, to understand them, to give up our life for them, and to love them in a way that they feel cherished. So throughout the world, we have seen that the scripture runs into culture. In South America, where there is this machismo, on average, every day in Latin and South America, nine women are killed by their husbands or significant other. Wow. And so when we started doing the marriage commitment to love her, show her honor, give up my life for her, men said, hey, this is hard. That's not the way I want to treat my wife. And yet over time, as they got to know the Lord, they began to realize the Lord was saying, no, this is how I want you to treat your wife. (laughs) So most men don't know their biblical job description. And so eventually they end up doing what the world has told them they should do in relating to their wives. And so this is why getting into the Scripture and memorizing these key passages on how does God want me to love my wife can eventually change a man. And wives have become some of our greatest uh, promoters, because when they see their husbands changing, they have hope. Sure. And their husbands begin to help around the house. Uh, Their husband begins to uh, ask for forgiveness for patterns that he knows are not right, as the Lord has spoken to him. Absolutely. And so many places our wives have just said, oh, Lonnie, I don't know what you're doing in that Every Man a Warrior group, but keep it up because my husband is changing. That's terrific. Exactly. I, I can imagine how many women are very, very glad that their husbands are studying this. You also talk about some of the practical things of life. You've mentioned this before, money and sex and work. and But you also talk about hard times and ultimately making your life count. Now, I have heard many, many times that one of the most important things for any man is to feel his purpose in life and to find that thing that gives him purpose. How do you move toward that, though? Because that's not something that you can read the Bible and it will spell out. You should have this career, Joe, you know, obviously that's something that the Lord has to reveal to you in the course of time. But how do you address that particular issue? Yeah. Uh, Psalms 32, 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. And I think most men, as they develop their walk with God, eventually they start talking to the Lord about decisions in life. And they begin to feel that the Lord is leading them. Sometimes it's from the Scripture, sometimes it's that still small voice, sometimes it's through God opening doors or shutting doors. But once a man begins to have a vibrant daily walk with God, he begins to talk to God about each one of these issues, and that's when God begins to respond. So I think, um, first of all, when we develop our love relationship with God first, that becomes the foundation then for growing into the man that God wants us to be, also the husband and the father, 
And then it also becomes the place where we begin to discern, God's got a purpose for me. God wants to use my life. And that's when we begin to see that, hey, one of the things that God has commanded all of us to do is to go make disciples. And we have about 50% of the men who go through Every Man a Warrior who will go on and lead an Every Man a Warrior group the next year. Great. Because they realize this is what men need. And they say, I want to go do this with other men. In fact, we've had literally hundreds of men say, Lonnie, if someone had done this with me uh, before I ruined my first marriage, before I scarred my kids, my life would have turned out totally different. Hmm. And so, yeah, men go on and say, hey, I want to help some younger men not make the mistakes I've made. And so they actually learn then how to disciple other men. Well, that's that's what it's all about. And I, I want to shout out the website, by the way, everymanawarrior.com. You can get more information there. Lonnie, for men who might be listening right now who say, boy, I'd really be interested in doing this, or even somebody who said, I've gone through these books and I'd like to be able to start a group at my own church or with my small group. How do you facilitate that? How do you make that happen? Well, we wrote the curriculum so that every man can actually start and lead a group. The first page of every lesson in every book is called The Leader's Guide, and we made it so that any man could go and start this group. But you can go to our website, and we have uh, a number of training videos under resources that you can listen to. How to Get Started Right is actually in the book. Before you, uh, When you get a book one, you, it asks you to go through How to Get Started Right, the training video on that. Or you can call the Every Man a Warrior office. That number is on our website as well. And Talk to John, who will walk you through how to get started and how to start a group in your church. That's terrific. Have you seen a difference in the lives of the men who have gone through the curriculum and then go back to their families, go back to their churches? What have you seen happen and seen God do in the lives of some of these men? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, we've had so many men who are on the verge of divorce. And because uh, they got started in Every Man a Warrior, their wives saw the changes and began to have hope. We had one couple in Detroit. She literally took off her wedding ring, threw it down, and said, I'm done. And he, in fear, that next Sunday at church, got involved in Every Man a Warrior group. And instead of just watching TV and drinking beer, he started having a daily quiet time, memorizing his verses. And all of a sudden, his wife began to notice that he had radically changed. And it took about a year, but they took the divorce papers that she had drawn up with her lawyer, they Hmm. took it to the pastor, and she said, we're going to burn these together because now I have hope that our marriage can work. Wow, that's so wonderful to hear. And and you can just imagine how many more men would benefit from going through these books and learning how to have a deep, deep fellowship with the Lord and live that out in their lives. So people can check it out, everymanawarrior.com. You can learn more about these wonderful discipleship materials for men. Maybe even consider doing this inside your church, starting a group of your own. So check it out. It's everymanawarrior.com. Well, Lonnie Berger, so good to have you here. Wonderful to talk to you and keep up the good work. This is just a wonderful effort that you're involved in. Thank you, Jen. It's my privilege. Thank you very, very much. One more time, it's everymanawarrior.com. Thank you for listening to Janet Mefford today. We'll see you next time. This hour has been brought to you by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD.